it's a grind. It's a grind finding cancer. And, it, and, and so I want it to be as detailed as possible. And, and so the book's not for everyone. Some people feel like that's too much, but I, I've read so many memoirs about cancer and I felt like most of them glossed over the hard stuff. And I didn't want to gloss over the hard stuff. I wanted to include the good, the bad, and the ugly. Welcome to Believe in Progress, the American Association for Cancer Research Foundation podcast. Join us and be inspired by the incredible stories of those who have faced cancer with strength and resilience and the medical professionals who are working tirelessly to find new treatments and ultimately a cure. Believe in Progress isn't just about the science of cancer. It's about the human side of this disease. Together, we can make progress in the fight against cancer and bring hope to those who need it most. Welcome to another inspiring episode of the Believe in Progress podcast brought to you by the AACR Foundation. I'm your host, Mitch Stoller, your host and chief philanthropic officer at the AACR. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Andrea Wilson-Woods, a renowned keynote speaker, writer, and the founder of Blue Ferry, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association. Andrea's journey is not just one of personal resilience, but also of profound advocacy in the fight against liver cancer. Her best-selling book, Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days, is a medical memoir telling the story of raising and losing her sister to liver cancer. The book is a touching tribute to her sister and a beacon of hope for many. Today, we will also delve into Andrea's story, her mission with Blue Ferry, and how her work is making a significant impact in the realm of liver cancer research, education, and advocacy. For over 10 years, Andrea worked in the education field as a teacher and professor for public and private schools as well as universities. Andrea obtained her master's degree in professional writing from the University of Southern California. Her nonfiction writing has won national awards. Blue Fairy's mission is to prevent, treat, and cure primary liver cancer, specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, through research, education, and advocacy. Their work will improve the quality of life for HCC patients, support their caregivers, and give them hope, information, and a voice. Join us as we delve into their stories of resilience and dedication in our shared journey of hope and progress against cancer. Andrea, so, so great to have you here today. Welcome to Believe in Progress. Oh, thank you so much, Mitch. I'm thrilled that we could finally make this happen. I know. It's been a little while, but but we, we've made it happen. Yes. We, we have persevered, <laughs> in fact. So um, I'd love for you to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, your journey, your story, how how Blue Fairy, you know, came about. And uh, I think it'd be really interesting to hear. Yeah, of, of course. So the organization is named after my sister, Adrienne. When I was 22 years old, I was living in L.A. I had graduated from USC. And Adrian came to visit me for what was supposed to be a two-week Christmas vacation. She was eight at the time. And the day after Christmas, our mother called and said she didn't want to be a mother anymore. And her life had really been falling apart. I, I didn't understand the seriousness of our mother's addiction. And I had sort of watched things unravel. And in fact, at that point, even though I didn't have very much money, I was sending money home. And so I ended up getting custody of my sister. We have the same mother, I should say this, different fathers. So her father died before she was born and we, she never knew him. And um, yeah, eventually I actually took my mother to court, sued her, won. 
And I raised Adrian all through my 20s. And just when it felt like like life was getting easier and more stable, um, th things just changed. I, I came home from work one day. I was a teacher to be on her schedule. And she went to high school from seven to two. And I typically, I worked eight th to three. So when I walked in the door, she knew the rules in our house. I was very strict. I was not the fun parent at all. <laughs> so the <laughs> rules the were, down. yeah, homework first. And so I expected to see her at the kitchen table doing her homework. And instead she was in a fetal position on the living room floor, mm. clutching her right side, um, saying she couldn't breathe. And so we immediately went to her pediatrician and he had seen her exactly two weeks to the day before um, because she had had right shoulder pain. And he thought we were back because of that. And she said, no, 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 I can't breathe. And I mean, she's crying. And this is a kid who never cried. And I felt very fortunate as a parent because unlike her friends, my sister never wore skimpy clothing. And so she had not shown me that her abdomen had been swollen for a couple of days. Mm. As soon as her pediatrician saw that, he said, I don't like this. He sent us to the local ER um, and the only hospital in Burbank. And it was the ER doctor who, after doing a CAT scan, came back. And he's the one who told us that she had tumors in her liver and lungs and that they were not equipped to handle the situation because they didn't see pediatric patients. So from the time I got home to the time we got that news was about six hours. And then we were immediately put into an ambulance and sent to Children's Hospital Los Angeles. What year and is this again? This was uh, May of 2001. Okay. She was three weeks shy of finishing her freshman year of high school. Okay. Yeah. So you, you and, went to Children's Hospital in LA? Yep. Children's Hospital LA. And they were, I mean, I, I again, I... I try to focus on what I feel fortunate about. And because of what they saw in that CAT scan, they moved very quickly. She had a biopsy in less than two days. And when they came out of that biopsy, they told me, you know, we'll know for sure on Monday when the pathology comes back, but we're 95% certain this, this is hepatocellular carcinoma. It's very serious and it's stage four. And I couldn't even pronounce this disease, much less have heard of it. I was like, it's a, it's a tough one to say. Um, and they were so perplexed by what they saw in her liver because all of her initial, uh, your typical blood work, your CBC, your, you know, metabolic panel, everything came back normal. And so they tested her for hepatitis B and hepatitis C. And it turned out Adrian had chronic hep B and hep C and we never knew. And so while especially at that time, she was as far from a typical patient as you could get. Like when I looked it up, it was a non-North American male over the age of 50. Hmm. She actually had really common causes of HCC. Um, and having both chronic hep B and hep C was sort of like this horrible double whammy. And when Adrian was born in 1986, hep C had not even really been identified. And it was not... Um, it was not standard of care to test mothers for hep B at that time. Um, had it been, maybe we could have saved her life. Maybe. Mm. Um, is that the case now? It is actually the case now that um, if you go in for any sort of prenatal testing, um, 
they, I don't even think every doctor tells mothers, but yes, they do test for hep B and hep C. And prior to that time when you found her, you know, in a prone position, yeah. was, was she norm, healthy and like, yes. you know, energetic and all that? Oh yeah. She, every day she was, she was part of the dance team. That was her PE credit. She was, she actually almost failed PE in middle school, which was highly embarrassing because at one point I was a PE teacher, but she got to high school Wait, and she you got were, to- you were, you were a PE teacher? For, for one year, yes, yeah. Oh, I was I started my career as a, a physical education teacher as well. Really? Yeah, six uh, years. Yeah. How about yes. that? I only did it for one year. Um, so, yeah, it was highly embarrassing when she almost flunked PE in middle school <laughs> <laughs> right. and ruined an otherwise perfect GPA. Um, but in high school, she got to choose, you know, so many more, you know, options. And so she to- chose dance. And so she had been auditioning for the next year's program. I mean, she was very active. The only other symptom she had had was that right shoulder pain, which we now know was a sign of advanced liver cancer. Not don't want people to panic if they have right shoulder pain, but but it is a sign. Um, There's a nerve that goes from your liver to your right shoulder. And so it's referred pain from the liver. And then she did have some acid reflux. That was really Mm. it. And Mm. she was chewing on Tums like they were Tic Tacs or something. And it was kind of one of those things as a parent where I could control what she ate at home, but I couldn't control what she ate at school. Yeah. And so I, my attitude was like, you know, well, you know, your annual physical is coming up. We'll ask your pediatrician about it, but stop eating tacos at school. Like just stop eating the crap at school. Right, right. Um, so I really didn't think anything of it. Hmm. Uh, but but Andrea here all along she's stage four so this stage was four. spread spread through her body at the, it was in her before. lungs yeah right it spread to her lungs yep and we wow. did not know wow. and they said if they had and it was a guess it was very speculative but they said she was probably it was very aggressive and she was probably sick her entire freshman year wow so Andrea your your book that we're going to oh. show everybody here <laughs> Better Off Bald. It's a powerful narrative of your experience. Um, What motivated you you to share this story and what impact do you hope it has on people that read it? Well, first of all, thank you for for saying that about the book. I always knew I was going to write our story as sisters and because we had so many challenges. and, and, And I mean, I've never loved anyone the way I loved my sister. It's going to make me tear up, but I, I mean, just this absolute unconditional love and, um, and what, and some of my favorite reviews are that this is a love story and it really is in some ways. Um, but this was not the book I thought I was going to write, you know, (laughs) this was not it. And, um, so the story turned out quite differently than, than I thought, but, um, I really wanted to help other people. There were, there were absolutely no resources for HCC patients. There weren't even resources for parents. And, and I was so desperate for help. And, and I, I wanted our story to, ins- I hope, inspire people, but also just help them with sort of the, it's a grind. It's a grind finding cancer. And, it, and, and so I wanted to be as detailed as possible. And, and so the book's not for everyone. Some people feel like that's too much, but I, I've read so many memoirs about cancer and I felt like most of them glossed over the hard stuff. And I didn't want to gloss over the hard stuff. I wanted to include the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And, and people, what kind of feedback do you get from um, 
well, this is probably not just, it is specific to liver, but yeah. other it, it's relative to other cancers as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love getting feedback from people, whether it's by email or just reviews saying that they, they learned what they need to do and they, they learned that they need to get a second opinion and they need to take notes and they need to have an advocate at all times. And, and, and that is so special. And one of my favorite stories, and she's now a volunteer for Blue Fairy. She had just finished reading my book the weekend before her husband died. And he um, had HCC. He actually had stopped treatment, had to renew hospice twice. His quality of life was so good. And But that Monday morning, she finishes my book on Saturday. That Monday morning, he wakes up and his speech is slurred. And she realized she knew exactly what was going on because she had finished my book. And the same thing had happened with Adrian. Like the day before, she was fine. And the next day, her speech is slurred. She called the hospice nurse and said, He's losing oxygen. Please come over now. And and he died at home um, within two days of that happening. But she knew exactly what to do, and she felt empowered to do it. Is that because it was detailed in the book, that that episode? Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. Um, And and it must you must feel good about getting feedback from families, cancer survivors, people dealing with it. I mean, that must make you feel like um, you, you are making a great impact, but it's got to be really reinforcing for that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It does yeah. feel really good. Blue Fairy, um, t- tell us how, how that, how'd you get that name? And yep. um, tell us a little bit about the foundation and what you're accomplishing and what you hope to accomplish. That's four questions, Mitch. I got to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with let's start with Blue Fairy. That's a very 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 unique creative name. Tell me Thank about you. that. I can't take any credit for it. Um I you know, never in my life did I say when I want to grow up I want to start a nonprofit. That was not my life's no? plan. <laughs> no. And nor is it anyone's that I know by the way in this right. space. Um but a year after Adrian died, I was really looking for a way to channel my grief. I was extremely suicidal. And in a very, very bad place. And um, I mean, to the point where I had it all planned, I knew exactly, you know, what I was gonna do and everything. And and then I was like, no, I need to do something with this. I need to channel this a different way. So I reached out to the largest liver disease organization at that time and you know, sit, and I and I thought it was strange that they didn't have anything about liver cancer on their website, and they didn't for many years. Um, but I reached out to them, spoke to the head of the LA chapter and said, you know, I, I want to do something for you guys with HCC because I, I could see the trajectory it was going to take. And, and I could see the long term. And I was like, this is one cancer that is not going to go away for a very, very long time. It's just going to keep going up, up, up. And it has. And I think they thought I wanted a job. And then I made it very clear. No, 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 I'm not. A, I don't want a job. I'll volunteer. My background's right. writing, marketing. And they said no. And there's this great Lily Tomlin quote where she said, I thought somebody should do something about that. And then I realized that somebody is me. And that it really was, that was a light bulb moment. I did more research. There wasn't a single organization focusing on primary liver cancer in the US. And I was like, we gotta do this. So I had a very, at that time, close knit group of friends that none of them had kids yet. They were all sort of aunts and uncles to my sister and they were there for the entire cancer journey. And I reached out to them. And I said, you know, 
I need help with the name here because liver cancer has to be part of it so people know what we do. And her name has to be part of it because this is her legacy. And I said, but something's missing from a marketing standpoint. Like I just like, I was like, something's not quite there. And every person, this was 10 people I sent this email to, every person came back with some version of Blue Fairy. Blue was Adrian's favorite color. Okay. So much so that when I finally let her dye her hair, she dyed it blue. <laughs> mm. It was, and she got a blue wig uh, to maintain her look okay. uh, when it started falling out from chemo. And she loved fairies. And that summer she was sick. She bought these blue, beautiful butterfly wings. And we started calling her our blue fairy. And so it was like, oh my gosh, like the name was right in front of my face the whole time. And, and the actual face of our fairy is based on Adrian's face. And did those 10 people that you asked their opinions, did they know, did they have some inkling about this? Did they know Adrian as well? Yeah, they were all sort of like aunts oh. and uncles to her. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Same group of people. Yeah. They all, they all knew her and knew her really well. So Blue Fairy, the nonprofit was born when, what, what year did you establish the nonprofit organization? Um, December of 2002. Mm -hmm. And then we and, really and, got off the ground in 2003. So and, over and 20 years. That's, that's something else. And tell me about, I know how hard it is to run nonprofit organizations. Tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about your journey and, and, you know, what it is you all really hone in on. What's your focus is it research? Right. Is it patient support? Is it a little bit of both and advocacy work, all the above? Yeah. For the first 10 years, nobody paid attention. Really. I mean, we, we had a medical advisory board. We found the doctors, patients found us, but just generally speaking, no one paid attention. Um, I mean, when I say shoestring budget, I mean, shoestring budget, it was, it was just kind of scraping by. and. And every time I thought I was, I was ready to just throw in the towel and give up because it just felt like we were not getting traction, I would hear from a patient. You know, I always gave out my number and patients could call me at any time and they still do. And it was, it always felt like a sign, like, you know, just keep going, just keep going. The world's going to catch up. The world's going to catch up and people are going to start to care about this cancer. And, and so it took a long, a long time. Um, but from the very beginning, we started with the education component. And it really came from my own experience when Adrienne was diagnosed. Her doctor gave us these one sheets on her chemo. And I was like, well, that's great, but I need to learn about the disease first. And he said, nothing like that exists. And he was right. There were no patient education materials. There was very little on even NCI's website at the time about HCC. So bless him, he made copies from his medical textbooks. He brings me a, just a stack of paper and, and here I am, I'm educated and, but, but I don't have a science background and I felt like an idiot. So I ended up buying a medical dictionary, two plus inch medical dictionary, which I still have in Gray's Anatomy, which I still have. And I was sitting there just like translating it. And so that stuck in the back of my mind. And so when we started Blue Fairy, we said from the very beginning, we're focusing initially on the patient education component, and we always have. So our patient education materials are free, ship worldwide. I've got an order right to the side of my desk here for India. Um, they're translated in Spanish and Chinese. We did our uh, materials in-house initially, and now we work with Patient Resource. They're a fantastic organization. 
and they have an incredible distribution network. So we know our materials have been in all 50 states, over 700 treatment centers, and that's just in the U.S. alone. And, and what, like, do you send out different things for different people or what their needs are? Is it one specific type of uh, educational packet that you send out? It's one educational piece about HCC and all the components that, that go with that. And, and that's what most people, when they get diagnosed with HCC, they realize pretty quickly that it is one of the more complex cancers because you're not just treating the cancer, you have to treat the liver as well. And most people who have HCC, like my sister, do have underlying liver disease, whether it's you know HPV, HCV, or now it's much more common fatty liver. What's the incidence level of HCC? Like how many people worldwide get this? Worldwide, it's, uh, I think it's going to be over 900,000 this year and about 800,000 die from the disease. Wow. Because it goes undetected. It's, it's one of the most highly preventable and, and yet one of the deadliest when it's not caught early. And because our livers don't have pain receptors. So many people, like my sister, don't feel pain. And in her case, her liver had gotten so big it was pushing on her diaphragm, which is why she kept saying, I could I can't breathe. So that's that's not uncommon for for patients to be diagnosed in later stages. And I, and I know so many patients now who who knew they had an underlying liver disease, but they were never told that they could be at risk for HCC, which is um, crazy. This Great. This is a great example of the need for early detection, right? Yes. Um, and, and are you seeing any of that research being done in, for this particular type of cancer? Um, there is more research being done with a lot of these targeted and immuno and systemic therapies that were always for the later stage. Um, there's more research being done with how can we use those therapies in the intermediate stage and maybe combine them with um, things like Y90, which is which are radiation beads, you know, so how can we do these in combination so we can get patients to the point where we can downstage them for transplant? Because ultimately, the, the cure for this disease is to either resection is to take it all out, but even then it comes back more than 50% of the time, or a liver transplant. Uh, and I just heard at ASCO GI this past weekend, since it was in San Francisco, the wait list for liver transplant in California is two years. That's ridiculous. Two That's years. Crazy. Just to, just to, just for that, right? Two years. Yeah. Two years. So if we, if there was some early detection, you said it's, it's, it's pre easily preventable if you knew about it and it, or curable. It's a highly preventable cancer. It's not once you get it, it's not easy right. to cure if it's not caught early but it's highly preventable in that we know what causes HCC and it falls sort of into three buckets. There's the virus bucket, hepatitis B, chronic hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Hepatitis B has a vaccine. Hepatitis C has now curative drugs in the market over the last five, six years. Um, then there's the lifestyle bucket. And that's, I think the one no one wants to really talk about, but, um, and I think most people associate associate alcoholism with liver cancer, but they but they have no idea about fatty liver disease, and um, and that is the more common cause now um, in the U.S. and other and many other Western countries. 
Um, and then there are environmental factors, some of which we know, like there's a fungus called aflatoxin, which is not common in the US, but very common in Asia. They know it's correlative, but they, they won't say for sure it's causative, if that makes sense. Um, and, and so there are these three buckets. There are a few extremely rare genetic diseases, like Wilson's disease, and sometimes people confuse our name with Wilson's disease, um, that can happen, that can cause, that can lead to cirrhosis, that can lead to HCC. But I mean, it's, it's such a small percentage. 80% of people who have HCC have an underlying liver disease like hepatitis B or C or fatty liver. Mm. Um, so as a nonprofit executive and someone that, um, uh, you know, it's a relatively small foundation, like a, a people wise, tell me if you can tell me a little bit about your day and, and what, what, a if there is such a thing as a normal day for you, um, you know, running this foundation. Well, I feel very blessed now because counting me, we have four full-time employees Great. and, and I'm a early adapter to a lot of technology. And I think that helped us along the way because we were entirely remote. Two of my employees, uh, coincidentally, just live in Southern California. And then my executive assistant lives in the Philippines. And so we sort of have standard working hours. And, um, and then my team knows, you know, I think we, I do a very good job or we do a good job of orientation and training and we talk about communication. So for example, they know that email is not the best way to get in touch with me. And, you know, I get too, I get too much email. Like that's just not a good way to get in touch with me. And so we have our communication channels. We prefer Google chat and they know that's the only notification that's turned on on my phone. That's it. Nothing else. So even when I'm traveling, they know they can get in touch with me like this last past weekend. Um, and then we use tools like Basecamp, which is a project management tool. I know it. Um, and so, yeah, we use we use a lot of tools uh, to make it work. And, and how do you? So you use a lot of social media to get the word out, so the the public is aware of who you guys are and what you do. Um, websites out there are pretty prominent, but what are what are some of those tools that you use? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, PR has been one of our biggest challenges that we've really been working on and um, not the social media aspect, but organic social media is not what it was five, even five years ago. Right. And so most people are not going to see your post on organic social media unless they're already know you and they follow you. And, and so that can be a little bit challenging. Um, we do use our Google AdWords grant uh, in kind of gift that we get every month. We maximize that as much as possible because it's a use it or lose it grant. So we do the, do that. And we really drive as much traffic as we can to our community. So we have a, a private online HIPAA compliant community. It's not a Facebook group, which which I realize is, is way more convenient for people, but your health information is not safe on Facebook mm -hmm. at all. And so we do have this private community. It kind of looks and feels like Facebook. It's very easy to use. It translates into a couple different languages. And, and so it's really inside that community um, where people, you know, find support and, and find each other. And um, uh, fundraising, um, good, bad, challenging, how, all, the above, <laughs> all the above. I, I mean, I know as a, 
I know as a fundraiser myself, it's uh, it's always a tough, tough, it's very, very competitive and it's very hard, but you have a great mission and you have a great, uh, I, I think a great, uh, you, you make a great impact out there. So I think it's a good story to tell. I, I can imagine Thank that you. people would want to invest in your organization, but tell me a little bit about that. Thank you. It wasn't really until pharma started paying attention to HCC that fundraising got a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And so we do now have a number of corporate sponsors. And I always tell people, though, just diversify your funding. So for example, and I'm not afraid to say this, I won't say who, who it was, but we, we lost two significant sponsors for one of our main programs. Right. And that was a blow. And so right. it's like, oh, okay, we need to rethink the program for the entire year now. For, for one of the sponsors, you know, they laid off a significant part of their workforce. It was all of their budgets are down. For the other sponsor, um, you know, they decided to put their money into another program we have instead. They felt like it was more aligned with what their goals are, and that's fair. And so you really have to diversify your funding. You you don't want to depend solely on corporations or foundations or individuals. You really need to have a mix of all three. You sound like a seasoned exec there. That's, that's <laughs> a, that is very good advice for people to diversify their funding because exactly oh, what, no, that's you're, you're you're right on top of it there. So how how did you um get into like wanting to be be a writer and um like you know you. I think speaking sounds, feels like it comes naturally to you, but um, yeah. how, how did how did that, like, was that something that you've always, like, were inspired to do? No, when I was a little girl, what I wanted to be when I grew up was I wanted to be a ballerina, an oceanographer, and a traveler. Okay. <laughs> and I was a ballet dancer for 17 years, and, um, and I actually did dance at every theme park in Southern California in my twenties. Um, but, um, but I wasn't, as, I wasn't good enough to be kind of the level I wanted to be as far as a prima ballerina. Um, but dancing is what led me into acting. And so I did act in my twenties as well. Um, and I always dragged my sister in on all those projects. Um, I wanted to be an oceanographer, but then I realized you actually have to be good at science and I'm not. So <laughs> yes, I just want to live near the ocean. <laughs> I just, I just like the water. I want to be near it. And then, um, and traveler, I realized, yeah, I like to travel, but I'm also a little bit more of a homebody than I realized when I was a, a little girl. Um, and now I forgot your original question. I'm so well, sorry. <laughs> what, what motivated you to just become a, a writer and, and, and then you're doing some keynote speaking as well, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, I never thought I was going to write the great American novel or, or anything, but I loved writing in school and I went to a charter fine arts high school where it was really odd. Um, if you took an AP class that didn't replace the regular class. So I had two English classes, my senior year of high school, I had regular English and I had AP English and that teacher was really inspiring, you know, and he really encouraged me. And then kind of the same thing happened when I was in college. I was originally a journalism major and I had a professor who really encouraged my writing. And I just, just generally speaking, I love to tell stories. Like I've always loved to tell stories. And I think I get that bug from my dad a little bit. He's a great storyteller and I love to make people laugh. And, um, you know, and so I, I just, yeah, it's just kind of cool. evolved naturally. That's, that's it really, really did. Do you guys do um, advocacy work? Like, do you go to Capitol Hill and and you know, do you, do you are you advocating as well? 
We used to do more. We are part of the Deadliest Cancers Coalition, so most of our advocacy work now is done through them as a coalition, which is which is great. Um, I used to go to Capitol Hill. This was right around the time when the first hepatitis, curative hepatitis C drugs were coming on the market, and we were trying to get the Viral Hepatitis Testing Act passed. And um, you quickly realize that the world, at least the political world, is run by 23-year-olds. <laughs> and um, and it, it was really tough. It was very tough. It was very discouraging. It was super frustrating. Um, you know, you almost never meet with the actual representative or senator. You know, you meet with someone from their staff and try to move, you know. And so I think some people have that gene and the patience for it, and I just don't. I do remember the one time, I think one of the last times I went to Capitol Hill, I had just moved to Birmingham. I had left Los Angeles after over 20 years. And um, so they wanted me to talk to my senator. And uh, and so we had a meeting with Senator Shelby's office. And I, But I saw him. He's a very tall man, not a very nice man. And so I said, excuse me, you know, Senator Shelby, you know, we, we, have, an, we have a meeting coming up. In your office, and and I, I mean, I had my elevator speech down to thirty seconds, right? Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me, and he was like, and then I mentioned something specific, state specific to Alabama, and he said, "That's the state I represent, the federal." And he walked wow. away from me, mm -hmm. and I ran after him, and I said, "Look, you know, you may have a longer stride than me, but I'm wearing flats, and I am passionate about this. You represent the state." You should be concerned about the state and what's going on. And um, and that was my little run in with Senator Shelby. So, <laughs> so after that, it was like, oh, gosh, is this really worth it? Um, so we don't do as much sort of on the hill type stuff because um, gotcha. I don't think it's done very well or effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, what's your vision of Blue Ferry? Uh, like next year or five years from now, what, what do you, what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to see happen? Our long-term vision from the very beginning, and this is unusual, I think for any business, but especially a nonprofit was to put ourselves out of business. You know, that was our, like, like, let's get to a point where HCC is cured. We are no longer needed. Um, that, that was, that's the long-term goal. Let's get to the point where, you know, we get there. And I actually said to a bunch of doctors at a research conference a few years ago, I said, guys, I'm not getting any younger here. So can we please speed this up? Can we stop doing you know, research studies with drugs that we know don't work? Can we please step it up? And so one of the other programs we have is we have the Blue Fairy Award for Excellence in Liver Cancer Research. And we you know, really reward those researchers, those scientists, those doctors who who are innovative, who are thinking outside the box. And at the time of this recording, because I don't know when it's going to air, but the award period is open. It closes at the end of this month. And then we always announce the winner on my sister's birthday on April 8th. And so the, um, the opportunity to apply ends end of January? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And um, that's uh, a scientific advisory group looks at that, looks at those awards. Is that how that works? Yes, yeah, so it's um, it is my favorite board meeting of the year. It's our February board meeting. It can get quite contentious. Um, our medical <laughs> advisory board chair he puts his two cents in um, and makes recommendations. But um, 
it's exciting because it's gotten very competitive. It's very much sort of a who's who. It's an international award as well. So we've had two international recipients. Um, that can get a little cha challenging actually getting the money to the person, but you know, we figure it so out. You're seeing more and more applicants as the years have gone by. It's becoming we, more of a, a, which is awesome. Really, It is. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, I know here at ACR when, you know, we send out a call for application for what, whatever it might be, it's, it's most exciting when you, you know, you see all these great proposals come in. You only wish you had enough money to be able to fund more and more and more of them, but yeah. that's what, that's why we do what we do. So um, what would you want the audience to know, um, you know, uh, you know, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to get in touch with the, the, the foundation, is the, is the website the best place to go to kind of get in the front door? Yeah, yeah. Bluefairy.org, B-L-U-E-F-A-E-R-Y. And we spell fairy with an E because that's the way my sister liked it. So that's and definitely... We will and we'll put up we'll put up all the links and um, you know everything in the show notes as we uh, when we air the episode. But um, but I, I'm 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 so happy that our paths crossed because um, it was kind of like I mean it was one of these things that just happened and um, it gave me the opportunity to learn more about what you do and and what the foundation does and uh, you know I really applaud your efforts. Um, again, I know how challenging it is to to run an organization, but you know, it comes across to me, and I'm sure it's going to come across to thousands of people that that listen and watch this. How passionate you are, Thank and how you. determined you are. You've got a you've got a great spirit about you, and um, I I think that uh, you've done some awesome work, and you'll continue to do that. And I just want you to know it's a, been a really a great great honor for me to to spend a few minutes with you here today, and uh, hopefully our our paths will cross, and um, you'll you'll come to some AACR meetings and and spread the word, and uh, we'll. We'll, uh, we'll continue to make an impact together. I would like that. You know, hint, hint. I've never been to Philadelphia, so just throwing it out there. <laughs> it's one of the great, it's one of the great cities to come visit. As a I know, of fact. I know. <laughs> so we'll have to make that happen. We'll have to make that happen. Well, listen, Andrea, it's so 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 much uh, uh, so much great great stories and and great work that you're doing, and uh, really thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your day today and uh can't wait for this episode to air it's going to be fantastic and uh we'll uh we'll, we'll wish you the best of luck thank you so much mitch once again thank you to our listeners supporters and donors remember your support drives the progress against cancer please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing this episode with a friend and heading over to our website aacr.org to consider making a donation when you donate to the American Association for Cancer Research, your investment in life-saving research propels the important work of the more than 58,000 members of the AACR in driving progress against cancer. You can support life-saving cancer research with any donation you make today. Thank you for listening to Believe in Progress, the AACR Foundation podcast. This podcast is produced by CollegeCast LLC. Please visit www.collegecastpodcast.com for more information.